the Staff and Graph podcast. This is weird. My lock's been drilled, so I open the door and my steering wheel is missing. In looks or salad. You know what? You're trying very hard not to get sued. You can have all the talent in the world skating around, but if you don't have a goaltender, it does not matter. Team tidy business, baby. Welcome back to the Staff and Graph podcast. I am Mike Stevens, and sitting across from me, virtually, is not the future first female GM in NHL history, although she's coming back soon, but it is the, the, the master of NHL 21 timeouts, um, which is a joke that only, I think, eight other people or seven other people will get, Ian Tullock. Ian, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing great. Rachel's on LTIR again this week. She's got yeah. some real uh, Nikita Kucherov uh, stuff going on, so... I'm here to fill in for her, you know, graciously. I know she asked me not to slander Morgan Riley at all, but I was going through your prep, and I think by the end of this podcast, there might be a bit of that. So I, I do apologize, Rachel. But. Yeah, Rachel, if you're listening to this, um, yeah, we're not going to honor that request. Uh, we're 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 going we're going into it. It's going to be interesting. Can we talk about my Keith timeouts, by the way. Yes. So that's what I was. That's what I was saying. So Ian. So obviously, you know, we're, we're Ian and I were. We're cornerstone members of the Dangle Navy. You know, we, we you know, we're we're playing NHL 21. The thankfully, the you know, we've we've stepped up the game playing a little bit lately. Eh? Like we, we've started to get the get the gang back together way more recently, um, which is great. And Ian has a Sheldon Keefe mentality of taking timeouts, whereas we we would get down like, I don't know, three goals in the first period. But he'll take a timeout at, with like eight minutes left in the first period. And then the game is like on the line. We're pushing to get, you know, to, to tie it late in the third period. And where'd our timeout go? Oh, no. It went, it, it was wasted in the first period. I want to say that 90% of the games we end without using our timeout. And that drives me completely insane when you have a resource yeah. in your back pocket and you don't use it. It just, <laughs> it completely drives me insane. So I want to use it when we're getting down on ourselves after allowing the third goal in the last two minutes, like the Leafs in the last couple of years, when you could, t- you could just look at their faces on the bench and go, Oh my God, they, they look like they need a, a, a pick me up here. So that's what I was trying to do for us. But I know, I think I called one with 50 seconds left in the first period at one point. That was not my smartest timeout. That might have been a dumb one. But (laughs) I have called a smart timeout or two in my time. But you guys always give me crap for my bad defense, for my bad uh, timeout calling. But my six zone entries per six. I just want to see. My zonies. Yeah, six zonies. That's that's the name of this podcast, by the way. Six zonies with Ian Tullick. Like, it's... Remarkable. I we've come up with this term. I don't know why. Like to call zone entries zonies, and it's really stuck. It's the nerdiest group of people. Yeah. We, we'll make RAPM jokes. We'll have heat map jokes. It's it's a good time. But yeah, I'm always a fan of players who can gain the zone with efficiency, and I'd like to say that I'm one of them in this video. You game are because I, I certainly can't do it in real life. You know what the thing is? We give you a lot of a lot of heat because Ian does like to go um, like Jake Gardner a lot of the time or Tyson Berry a lot of the time. But I've noticed when we need a goal, when we're down, who's streaking down from the point? You know, putting it top corner. It's Ian Tullick. So we can't like Omar even on on Twitter when I was announcing that you were coming on the show. He was basically saying like I really I want to roast him, but I can't because he's had he's had some sick zonies the last couple of games. It's tough to get on his on his ass. You know what? Shout out to Omar for being the goals per 60 leader. 
Yeah, Tic Tac Tomar on Twitter. He does. He touches oh the puck God. for maybe a second every period, it's and he'll hilarious. end the game with like four goals. And you wonder how did that happen? He's just standing right by the crease, stick in the right spot. You pass it to him back door, and he finishes. <laughs> so you know what? Hey, if you put up goal totals, that's what matters at the end of the day, right? That's what gets you paid. So. Yes, that's what gets you paid. It's hilarious because Omar, like, it, there will be, like, three people in the corner. It'll be, like, me, Ian, and Steve just battling, digging. We're dangling. And Omar will stand in front of the net. Then there'll be this crazy thing, and he'll just tap it in and then do a crazy celebration, and he'll finish the game with four goals. It's he'll hilarious. He'll do the Yakupov to center ice after yeah. barely doing anything. It'll be Nick, who's our best player. He'll yeah. deke three guys out. I'll hold the line, fire a slap shot. You'll tip it. And then there'll be a rebound. Omar just taps it in and then celebrates as if he did all the work. So I respect it. I honestly really do love it. I really do. But enough of our NHL 21 talking. There is actual real NHL news that we have to talk about here. Starting off with, I would say, the one that would affect you and I most as esteemed members of the media. Um, the NHL and Turner Sports agree on a seven-year broadcast deal. This, uh, you know, NBC, first of all, NBC will not be hosting or not be broadcasting NHL games for the first time since 20, 2000, I believe, four, like 2005, 2006, which is pretty nuts. But also this, so Turner Sports Media is, you know, it, it essentially it's like TNT and, and H, HBO Max and all that kind of stuff. It's, it's really interesting to... To see that, you know, just how the the NHL is breaking into these huge broadcast groups that they necessarily didn't have, um, they didn't have stakes in before. But this includes, uh, this deal includes seven years, ton of money, it's crazy, and includes uh, Stanley Cup Finals, um, four of the next st- seven Stanley Cups, uh, Stanley Cup Finals will be on ESPN, the other three are on Turner, it also includes extensive playoff coverage, 72 exclusive regular season games, and the things that really interest me here is that the live streaming rights are on HBO Max and the highlight, like the highlight digital rights. So like the, you know, like basically what what replay guy keeps bemoaning about all the time is they're, they're going to bleach your report, which is really interesting. So this is all this is a this is a really seismic shift in how we're going to consume hockey or at least America is going to consume hockey on multiple platforms. Yeah, I know you and I are obviously from Canada, Toronto, so Sportsnet, TSN, that kind of rules the day here. But yeah. in the U.S., hockey isn't the biggest uh, you know, a, a draw to most viewers, unless you're from Buffalo. It's not something that people are paying close attention to. Mm-hmm. So ESPN getting in on this, TNT getting in on this, can only be good for the sport, you hope. I wonder what voices are going to be brought to these intermission shows. I do yeah. wonder who's going to be on TV. I don't know if Stephen A. Smith is going to have his own hockey show. I don't know if Charles Barkley is going to have an intermission show or the uh, <laughs> NHL on TNT. As funny as that would be. That'd be that would incredible. be amazing. That'd be Pay amazing. good money to see that. I, I, I got to think that there's an avenue here for them to bring in some kind of entertaining voice who also kind of understands the game of hockey to make it a bit more interesting for U.S. listeners. But I don't know what the plan is overall. I'm just excited that hopefully more viewers get to watch this sport. This is a mm-hmm. very hashtag please like my sport thing where yes. we just we want it to grow, right? In the U.S., it's not a big deal, and I'd love it to be a big deal in the U.S. Not sure if we'll ever get there, but I'm hoping that this helps bring some more eyes to the product because, uh, believe it or not, we like hockey, and I'm sure listeners of the show also enjoy this sport. So here's hoping the U.S. can uh, bump up some of those TV numbers because that'll only be good for the league. Well, it, it, you're 100% right. And what it also does is it gives them a chance to kind of clean slate this whole thing. Because let's be honest, like the NHL coverage in the States, it's not successful. It's not working. Otherwise, 
these deals would be both way bigger and also NBC would probably be throwing their hat in the ring and pretty more pretty, you know, a bit more aggressively. But it's just not working. Like no one cares about what Mike Milbury has. He's not there anymore. But like what Mike Milbury was saying on like a panel regurgitating the same things. This is an opportunity for them to just clean slate it at like introduce American fans to like what they will define as the voices of hockey because now we have an opportunity to do that like this will this will bring a whole new set of eyes to hockey in the states and with that allow fans to kind of i don't know determine what voices they associate with hockey and now we can or now they can choose what those voices are and i really hope that they don't go to like they you know now that he's not at nbc because well i'm assuming he won't be at nbc because nbc doesn't have nhl coverage i'm really hoping they just don't like copy and paste it they don't take Pierre Maguire or they don't take, you know, like just bring on like, you know, cool. doesn't even have to be young people, but just like interesting voices, diverse voices, fun voices. And this game can skyrocket up. Does anyone come to mind for you when it comes to TNT or ESPN? Any broadcasters you really want to see take over here? I know Mike Tirico has done games in the past. Yeah. and I always like listening to him, whether it's football or basketball. So I feel like he could do hockey pretty well. Well, I'm thinking about it. Like, obviously, I want Mike Johnson's um, his his role to be expanded. Like, I want on him I feel, everywhere all the time. Everywhere. I was listening to him do the Habs game the other night, Cole Caulfield's oh, first game, and Mike Johnson's analysis. He's he helps blend the numbers and the video so well. He's mm-hmm. so good at his job. I really look up to him in that respect. Yeah, me too. Motherfucker comes on my podcast, boots me out of the out of the seat of handsomest Mike on my po- on my own goddamn podcast. Ridiculous. Well, that's just because he's Rachel's favorite player from the year yeah. two thousand. Even though I, I joked that I'm like, were you a third line player that year? Were you something I don't like know. that? Yeah, it's hilarious. Well, I love the guy, but I don't know how effective he was at the NHL level. Ooh, middle hoo-hoo. six, middle six, middle Ra- six. You NHL realize player? Rachel's gonna kill you when she hears that, right? Like she's gonna she's gonna hear me torch Mike Johnson, Morgan yeah. Riley. I should just say something mean about Damon Severson. Just to say fuck Byron. Just like just start talking shit about Byron. That's well, you know what? This do. super league. Let's get into no, no, no. Let's, let's I don't even this. know what's going. I, I don't, I don't know. They need to, they need to make a draft to survive for, uh, for super league, because then I'll actually understand it just like i have with with f1 we thought this podcast went off the rails when we started talking about nhl 21 just imagine if we did an f1 segment we'd lose all of our listeners and me and you would be so excited maybe we'll i did that, that with adam end. i did that with adam i we literally did like when i had adam on last week adam wild like we we spent way too long like 25 minutes talking about f1 and what's funny okay. is like i don't oh, know go go ahead I was just going to say, how about we do that at the very end? We'll do the rest of the hockey topics here so that we don't lose our listeners. But at the very end, I'm down to get your thoughts on F1 because I've been obsessed with the Netflix show. Oh, me too. That'll be our Kovalev shift. It'll be great. Um, But yeah, I I think I just think that they're like if you look at existing ESPN personalities, like I would love to hear what Mina Kimes has to say about about hockey. Like she's incredible. I want I want She's to be a huge her basketball fan, too. I heard her on Zach Lowe's podcast. Oh, wow. Okay, you're versatile. You're just really smart. I want I want to be I want to be her when I grow up. Um, I would love to see just like I don't know. ESPN has so many really interesting voices, and I just want to see them. And in, in, I would also like I I also feel like there's going to be a lot of there's going to be a lot of voices from Canadian networks that get poached. You know, like it's like it's it's going to be interesting to see. Like for example, like I know Mike Johnson does like some NBC stuff and NHL Network, but like I really hope that they install him as like a pivotal voice. I hope you know Kevin Weeks. He's really good at it pivotal voice they should poach uh, it sucks for Sportsnet, but they should poach kevin bieksa pivotal voice he can be that you know that charles bar or that like even that tony romo kind of uh like they need to have someone like that i don't know it's gonna be really what about you who, who do you want who's your dream team 
Yeah, well, you just brought up a few people where likability is a big factor, oh, but also the be. ability to break down the sport in a smart and easy to understand mm-hmm. manner. I think that's what you really want. Justin Bourne comes to mind for me. I know he's doing yeah. really well at Sportsnet, but that that type of that yep. younger, but also that modern way of breaking down the game in a way that newer fans could understand. But he's just a handsome also- man too. He's just a handsome man. Good face for TV. You know, we got the faces for radio. He's got the face for TV. He, he gets mad at me because sometimes I, I text him too often when I'm trying to understand. I'm like, okay, whose fault was this goal in the D zone? Because I'm just breaking down D zone coverage. I do this with Rachel a lot, too. Where yeah. I've, I'll gif a play, and then I'm rewatching it 10, 15 times, and I have no idea whose fault it is. I go, well, I think the weak side winger should have done this, but the defenseman in front kind of missed his man. And then messaging those two, they'll say, well, you know what? Smart hockey people can often disagree on whose fault it is on a goal yeah. against, believe it or not. So Crazy. You don't. It's yeah. not just one big echo chamber. You can actually have diverse opinions. And usually, when a goal goes in, it's more than one person's fault. Usually, no. It's always Cody Cece's fault. Or the goalie should have had it. Should have had it. Should have Goal, had it. Goalie Twitter is a good time. It's just Cat Silver. It's just Cat Silverman being exasperated with how stupid everyone is around her. <laughs> That's about <laughs> it. <laughs> um, all right, Nick Ehlers out for the rest of the season. Now I'm wondering. Now I'm not a doctor. But I am wondering, in my medical opinion, I feel like he probably pulled something from whining so hard. Wow. Um, it could be an upper body injury where he was going, but that's unfair. And he like maybe pulled like a vocal cord or something. Um, I don't know. We don't know what it is that there was a collision with Jake Muzzin. He went off. I, there were I also want... multiple collisions with Joe Thornton, who decided yeah. he wanted to murder Nick Ehlers about halfway through that Leafs uh, Jets game. It's very funny because Joe seems like. Joe, like, I feel like Joe's going to have, like, a pot farm when he retires. Like, he's one of those guys. He's just so, like, laid back. But I love it when someone like him, just one game, he's like, fuck this guy. Like, in his mind, he turns on the fuck this guy switch, and he's like, I am going to go after this kid and essentially son him. He just started cross-checking him, and it felt like he wasn't going to stop until he got a penalty. He broke his stick cross-checking him, went to get another stick, and then cross-checked him again. And... I don't know what happened. Apparently, Ehlers gave him a whack earlier in the game, but I say this as a Nick Ehlers fan. I, yeah. I'm a, he, we were talking about zonies as a yeah. joke, but Nick Six Ehlers zonies. is captain of the zone entries per 60 and creating offense off the rush basically by himself, just by virtue of his speed. Yeah. I think he's Winnipeg's best forward, and they don't play him enough. He's I think that's undeniable. Under- He's getting under 17 minutes a night, and Mark Shifley's getting 21 minutes a night. It's it's very frustrating for someone who thinks that Paul Maurice is overrated as a coach and hasn't handled the talent on their roster well over the last, let's say, five years. And uh, him missing these games is really going to hurt the Winnipeg Jets, but not as much as their coach has hurt their chances of winning by refusing to play this guy over the last couple of years. He's not even getting PP one time. Drives me insane. This guy's such a talented hockey player, and they don't play him enough. So I, I, I love I love that you brought that up because I want what I want to do is mention Ehlers injury and then have that branch out into a larger discussion about the Winnipeg Jets because they're first of all, they're they're a big topic whenever the Daniel Navy are together because we have a, a Jets fan among, in our ranks. Shout out to Brad, um, who's just losing his mind at this point, even though the Jets are in second place. He's not happy. Well, he's from Winnipeg, though. Sometimes his Wi-Fi isn't good enough. It's for slow. Him to actually yeah. Stay. Yeah. Yeah. Bad pain. I mean, he's also like he's just trapped there because there's no airport. So it's just like, <laughs> where, where are you going to go? Like, it's it's crazy. Um, but no, yeah, it's it's really interesting because the Jets are you look at the talent that they have and they should be 
far more formidable, I'd say, than they are. And this is even, you know, like this is with Pierre-Luc Dubois, but then this is even with Patrick Laine too. This I is with like Jordy Ben, the big deadline acquisition on the blue line. Joy, you mean Joyride Ben? Joy, that's that was in our group chat. I yeah, think. another one. It's just this. This podcast is just going to be all inside jokes. No one's going to understand it, but I don't care. It's it's. I've already explained Big David David. I think on, on the podcast, so everyone knows. And that was Joyride Ben was another Tic Tac Tomar typo that we have now made into a meme, which is terrific. As long as we explain these jokes, exactly. You know, we explain zonies. We've explained David David because Just jokes are always funnier when you explain them right after. I find, yep. um, especially when they're inside jokes that other people that you're with don't <laughs> understand, and they're looking around going, "Wait, what are you laughing at?" And then you explain it, and they they always laugh right afterwards instead like, of staring blankly at you. Yeah. Exactly. Um, but you know, like we we always talk about this because Blake Wheeler. I mean, okay, so we're coming at this. I think we come at this from two different angles. This is very much like when Ra- when Rachel's on here because you're you know you're the numbers guy. Math is hard for me, so I look at this more intangibles aspect of it, and I think that that is a rotten locker room. I think it's been a rotten locker room for a long time. I think it has driven a lot of players out, and I think that what like what's happening right now is just the further erosion of it that has been allowed to take place with Paul Mar- like under the guise of Paul Maurice because I wonder if it's just the city of Winnipeg and people not wanting true. to live there but it's also like I know it okay here's like I, I I give an example like I think I was mentioning this uh uh last podcast when I had Haley on where like LeBron just was able to bring players to Cleveland Cleveland's an objectively bad place to live but LeBron was able to bring players there. And one quote that I find really interesting was it was J.R. Smith when he was good, not crazy J.R. Smith now, but, and he was, and he was like, it's all ball here. Like there's no distractions. It's all ball. We're in Cleveland. We're, we're just playing. And, and so Winnipeg has the opportunity to be like that. They have like, they may not have a LeBron, but they have a lot of high end talent, like a lot of it. And I would think, you know, yeah, it's maybe not like the greatest, you're not going to be on a beach or anything, but you can make that sort of like a hub of winning with a ton of huge talent. That's, that's going to be great and, and make it really close knit. And they also have like a lot of financial backing despite their small market. So it's, it's big. You're in a Canadian market. Like it's going to, it's, it's going to be exciting. So I don't think we can blame it on that. But I, but I look at a track record here, right? So Blake Wheeler and Mark Shifley, like that leadership sort of core was more or less leaked that that was what booted, line a out like that was like they they didn't agree with him wheeler admitted that he could have handled that situation better then we look at the dustin bufflin evander kane scenario with the back on tracksuit you know tracksuit in in the shower all that but then we also look at i know that jake truba there was like familial there are familial reasons there like with i think his girlfriend you know practices uh uh, medicine in, in new york so he wants to be in new york but he also forced his way out and then there was the whole dustin bufflin retiring thing that was a big rigmarole there's and now and now we have you know public disagreements between coach and player when Mark Shifley was benched and he was like I didn't agree with the decision it just seems rotten in there I don't know yeah if I try to pinpoint when did things go wrong specifically because at one point this was a scary team at yes. one point they had two good defense pairings they had the Morrissey Truba pairing and they had I'm trying to remember his name Tobias Enstrom and yes. Dustin Bufflin on that second pair. Toby Enstrom got benched in the playoffs, and then he wasn't re-signed the year after. And then, if you look at the results on that second pair, they haven't been as they haven't been good since. 
So yep. I think that's a major factor. I think when you're playing Dmitry Kulikov or Ben Sherrod, whoever they've had in those minutes ever since, who's, who's there right now? Derek Forbort on their second pair. Oh, my God. Jordy Ben. Josh Morrissey without Jacob Truba hasn't been the same. Uh, one interesting thing about their forwards is that when you draft and develop forwards and all of them tend to be bad defensively, you look <laughs> yeah. at Mark Shifley's defensive numbers right now. You look at Kyle Connor's defensive numbers. Blake even look Wheeler. at Blake Wheeler's defensive numbers horrid, right now. Horrid. Horrid. Their heat map is all red in the defensive zone. It's not yeah. good. The other team gets lots of shots and lots of chances when those guys are on the ice. Does that speak more to the system and the coaching? Because at some point, these guys were talented 17-year-olds that you would imagine you can somewhat mold into a 200-foot player. You could also argue that some players are what they are, kind of like a Patrick Lane. So mm-hmm. I don't know how much of that to put on Paul Maurice. I don't know how much of that to put on the development aspect of things. But they had all these talented forwards. They had two good defense pairings. They had a team that looked like it was destined to succeed for the next four to five years, and they kind of blew it. And now they're stuck yeah. with... All these talented forwards, they don't really have any good defensemen other than Neil Pionk, which is weird. He's and, their best and that defenseman. was lucky. And that was lucky, too, because they got screwed in the Truba situation, and it just happened to turn out that Pionk was good, because that was a terrible trade on the surface. And Josh Morrissey's been really bad this year. He yeah. can't handle himself without Jacob Truba. So if I'm a Jets fan and I'm looking at this roster and I'm trying to figure out, okay, how do we succeed in the playoffs? I do like that they put Paul Statsny on the third line. They're testing that out a bit because I think that's the way that you want to have things going in the playoffs. You want to have three lines that you can trust mm-hmm. out there. The issue is you look at the D and you go, okay, here are our pairings. It's Morrissey, Poolman, eh. nah. Forbert, Pionk, which is weirdly your best pairing by far. <sighs> Man. And then Jordy Ben, Dylan DeMello. Not terrible, but you'd prefer to have a better defenseman back there. They didn't pony up the assets for a David Savard. They didn't pony up the assets for any good defenseman. Mike that Riley. So, well, just think about it. Not Jordy Ben. Someone better than Jordy Ben. Jeff Merrick used to joke that uh, that uh, Shevel Day Off really puts the the day off in Shevel Day Off by not <laughs> making moves to improve his team when you need to do it, whether it's at the deadline or free agency at the draft. And this team's had opportunities to address the blue line, and they're going into the playoffs with how many legitimate top four defensemen? One in Neil Pionk? Yeah, and and that's even a surprise. Like I said, like they got lucky by him panning out because that was a that that was that was a panned move, and he just happened to be a good defenseman. I don't know if Dylan Demello you could qualify him as a top four, maybe a number four. And Josh Morrissey, I just don't know what he is because he's on the top pair, getting crushed every single night. Would he be able to handle himself in a second pair with a decent partner? Would he be able to handle himself on a first pair with a Jacob Truba? Apparently, but neither of those players seem to be doing well without the other. It's a really weird situation there. And he's making $6.25 million for the next eight years. <whistles> like, like, look, I'm sure he's going sure to turn it around, but if he can't, that's ridiculous. And what I, I loved the quote um, that came out from, I think it was Paul Stastny, where he's like, we just got to play better. I don't know if you guys have noticed, but... Connor Hellebuck has been stealing us some games. I'm like, oh, really? We haven't noticed. How could we have possibly noticed? No, this is no Connor or uh, Paul. I guess this is the biggest like like sort of slog against your team is that you're getting bailed out by your goalie. And what we've seen with like whenever they play the Leafs is if Hellebuck gets pulled, if he has a bad game, you have no you have no chance. I think their route to contending is Hellebuck standing on his head. That's what you're betting on at this point, which. I mean, not a great if you situation have a great goalie, in. if you have a great goalie, that's that's nice. But you should be able to 
provide a better uh, environment around the goalie where you're not giving up chances and shots mm-hmm. against at a very bad rate. You would hope so. All right, another one. Patrick Waugh wants to be a coach again. He signed with a sports agency. He wants to be a either a head coach or a hockey executive. This is interesting because you look at Patrick Waugh's raw, like, raw sort of box box score numbers as a coach. Not too bad. He had he, you know, he had that one year where they were, I believe the Avs were 52, 22, and and whatever the 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 number that puts that to 82 games are. And yet, and you know, he's famous for, you know, the smacking the stanchion when he was trying to fight Bruce Boudreaux in his first game. And he's a fiery guy. And he's had success with the Quebec, Quebec Rampart, um, JHL. At the same time, those Avs underlying numbers were absolutely atrocious. Absolutely atrocious, if you will. Yeah, I see what you did there. It was, he had a 101.4 PDO in that first play season when they got bounced in five games. I think the things the Colorado Avalanche do result in a 104.1 PDO. You think so? Even under even no, under sorry, Wah. that's me making fun of the Mike Kelly tweet from oh four yes, years yes, ago, yes, or never it was. Sorry, I I fully I was like, wait a second, Ian's not. It's that. a really old joke. That's a really dated hockey Twitter joke. But it's it's relatively like it's insane. Do you first of all, I have two questions. Like, should he get another shot? And second, and my follow up is one: Do the Habs hire him in the off season or? That does seem like a good fit. He's French. But would he be willing to go back to the city of Montreal? That's a big factor there. I'm looking Probably. at the head coaches that are available right now. Gerard Gallant, Bruce Boudreaux, Claude Julien, and your favorite, Mike Babcock. I could all see wanting a job next season. And those are four coaches that I would have higher on my list than Patrick Waugh. So I'm, I think he's going to have a tough time finding a head coaching job because I, I think there are better options out there that don't have jobs. And there's only... You know, in F1, we joke that there are only 20 seats. In the NHL, how many seats are there? There's 31, 32 with Seattle coming in. So Mm -hmm. unless a bunch of teams fire all their coaches and there's a bunch of vacancies, I'm not sure if there's going to be an avenue for him to come in and grab a seat unless Montreal is willing to bring him in and he's willing to go back there. I know they have that rule where it needs to be a French-speaking head coach and that really limits the, the quality of coach that they can bring in. Where do you think he ends up? I think Montreal for sure. Like that, wow. like I, I, I like, like it. Think about what's happened with the Habs recently with Ducharme. Like they, they are essentially. It's like they don't want to make the playoffs. Like it's, it's ridiculous. And I think they're absolutely going to make a change. Patrick Waugh is a franchise, you know, legend. Um, with like he had some incredibly successful years with them. I know there was a bad breakup there, but this is the perfect opportunity for them to, you know, play that PR angle and go like, all right, it's the, he, you know, the prodigal son returns where we've patched up the, you know, our differences and he, he fits the, like the language barrier. Like, I don't think there's another, like at least off the top of my head, other than like Guy Boucher, there's not another coach out there who can, who is bilingual, who's able to to do that, like to fit that sort of, uh, uh, I guess, criteria. I think it's I think it's like a match made in heaven there. Like maybe not from an actual hockey perspective, but I mean like from a hockey man perspective, I think that's that I think the you know the the stars are aligning. I don't think it's a surprise either that he's like being so public about wanting to come back right at the same time as the Habs hit the worst skid of their season. Yep, yeah, and there appears to be a vacancy next season at head yeah. coach. If you imagine that Ducharme isn't gonna be the guy, and based on the team's results over the last month. I mean, what's crazy is when they fired Julian, they led the league in five on five goal differential, shot mm-hmm. differential, scoring chance differential. All the all the five on five numbers were great. It was the power play that was the issue. It was the goaltending that was the issue. So 
it would be a nice situation for him to walk into. I don't think he'd have to do too much because the structure and the system's already in place in the neutral zone. I like it. I like the idea of it. Colorado's power play was good under him too. I'm just looking at it now. Like in that in that first place season, they had a night. You know, they were clicking at almost twenty percent when the I mean, league average was seventeen. You need to be when you're giving up that many shots and chances at five on five. It's you're going to win games. You need your goalie and your power play to be hot. That's how the <laughs> Leafs did it under Carlisle. Yeah, no, you're right. You're 100% right. They lost it. They lost in seven games to the wild, like and not even the exciting wild, the shit wild, basically. In, uh, Can we use this as a quick opportunity to talk about Cole Caulfield while we're on the Montreal topic? Absolutely. I had that. I had that in, in plot points, but we can definitely hop in there. Abs- for sure. What did you we, think? We of can the save deal? it for later if you want. I, I don't no, want to think. What do you think of the debut? What do you think of the debut? So. With any young shooter coming into the NHL, a lot of the times you'll see that their shot selection is kind of, uh, I guess, I'm trying to find the right word for it. They'll shoot from anywhere. You, yeah. you see Cole Caulfield get the puck on the goal line from the boards and he just lets it rip. Mm. Nick Robertson, his first game in the NHL, he's outside the dots and he's thinking he can beat NHL goalies. You like the confidence. You always want a, an elite shooter to be thinking that they can beat a goalie from anywhere. But exactly. at some point, I think those guys do need to learn that they need to get to better areas. And it's that's the hard part. When you're that size, it's tougher to get to some of those areas and get those shots off. But the thing with Caulfield is that you look at him at every level he's been at. He's been an elite goal scorer at the USNDP level. Same place where Matthews, Eichel, uh, all those guys came from. At the college level, goal per game, basically. 30 goals in 31 games played for the Wisconsin Badgers. Played in the AHL for two games, scored three goals. He's a special player. He's He's really, really good. He's 5'5", if that. I think he's listed at about 5'7". He's our short king. You have to take height with a grain of salt, usually subtract it by about two inches for those guys. See, the players, like, how players list their heights is like how dudes list them in their hinge profiles. Like, it's, like, first, if you see... NHL GMs, you need to be at least six feet or over for us to draft you. (laughs) No, seriously. Like, it's, if you look at, like, there's a a great theory going around now that the the actual height, 5'11", doesn't exist. Because if a guy no if a guy is actually five eleven, he'll just boost and say that he's six feet. And so like and, and anyone who's which means that anyone who's below five eleven will say they're five eleven, so they can't actually say they're six feet. So this is what GMs are doing here. Like Cole Caulfield, five five. Five seven's like acceptable. Still short short, but he's probably five five, but he's listed as five seven, so he's not like it's not an oddity. I remember I saw Johnny Gaudreau listed at five ten somewhere. And oh just bullshit! Went, yeah, okay, okay, I'm five yeah. ten, and I, I I dwarf that guy, and I'm short. Like it's and I'm the same height as James Myrtle. I'm also six foot five. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Yeah, you yeah. got the James Myrtle build for sure. Oh my god, but ridiculous! Getting back to Cole Caulfield. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What, they played him on the power play on the left half wall, and then at five on three, they did the boring thing and took him off the ice, and Shea ah. Weber scored on the five on three. But I think on the power play is where he has an opportunity to provide the most value for them because they haven't had a good power play in a long time. They've been yeah. a great five on five team at tilting the ice, getting into the offensive zone, especially when Brendan Gallagher was there. Without Brendan Gallagher, hasn't quite been the same. He's been arguably... One of the best five-on-five players in the league over the last couple of years. On the power play, Brendan Gallagher doesn't do much, but at five-on-five, that tatar Dano gallagher line has actually had the best five-on-five results in the league over the mm. last couple of years. They just live That's in surprising. the offensive zone. Wow. Chances right around the net. And it's not just jamming it into a, the goalie's pad five times in a row. Gallagher's actually been converting on those chances the last couple of years. So... Missing him, I think, is a big factor there. But most importantly, Cole Caulfield has that shot from the left side of the ice, that one-timer, 
kind of like a Patrick Lane. He's about half the size, but he provides similar value. And that that shot is something that teams have to respect, which should open up more space for a Nick Suzuki on the right wall, should open up more space in front of the net. I know mm-hmm. they tend to take way too many point shots, whether it's a Jeff Petrie or a Shea Weber, but maybe it opens up more space for them to get clean looks. So if I'm a Habs fan, I'm super excited about Cole Caulfield because yeah, he has absolutely. that one element that you desperately need, finishing talent. I'm not sure if this is going to be the year where he breaks out and becomes that 30-plus goal pace type of player, but he has the type of talent where it wouldn't shock me if he scores a bunch of big goals in the playoffs. So if I'm excited it. as a fan of the sport. Wow, if they make it, that's fair. They they won in regulation the other night, and that bumped their, their chances up super high. I think they're at 87% as okay. of the latest odds that I saw. So they need Calgary to win out, and they'd need to lose out more or less, which... We've seen before. We're Leafs fans. We know what it's like to watch an eight-team wheeler go off the cliff. But oh, all too well. I'm excited for Cole Caulfield. I just think that we need more players like him in this sport. I've seen Alex Dabrinkit get passed over for Igor Korshkov in the past, and it's hey, made but he me gave us Galch. He gave us Galch. Yeah. So, so can you? Really I just complain? I get really upset when I see teams value size over talent, and mm-hmm. no one's a better example of that than Cole Caulfield, who slipped into the teens when I don't think he should have absolutely ridiculous that he was able to fall like it's literally just they looked at the height chart and was like oh this guy i don't know if he's got an nhl body turns out you don't really need one to score goals it's hilarious show them the graphic of how many goals he scored at the usndp level and compare it to other elite goal scorers and go oh wow he broke all those records yeah this guy can put the puck in the net turns out that is value pretty ridiculous all right andrew uh, somber note to end off headlines here andrew shaw unfortunately retires at the age of 29 4,147 points in 554 games. Essentially, what the like, there's not too much to really say about this, but the thesis of this is is that concussions suck. Like, yeah, he's 29. He should not be retiring at 29 years old. Did you get a chance to see the video he put out through the uh, Blackhawks Twitter account? Uh no, no, I didn't see that. It was really, uh, it was heartfelt, and he went through some of his memories on the team, but. It sucks because he basically said that for the first time in my life, I'm listening to the doctors when they tell me not to play, right? That every hockey player, the docs say, ooh, you have a concussion, you should probably sit out, you should probably take care of yourself. And the typical pro athlete thing to do is go, nope, I'm fine, I can play, I tough it out. And I, I think the thing we don't realize is that these guys play hurt all the time. Yeah. Is whether it's a concussion, whether it's a nagging injury in their leg, in their shoulder, in their hip, wherever it is, these guys play hurt all the time. You don't want to mess around with brain injuries. That's one no. of the, the most difficult conversations, whether it's in this sport, football, any any sport where there are sub-concussive hits on basically every single play. And when you play the style of game that an Andrew Shaw plays or a Zach Hyman plays or Brendan Gallagher we were just talking about earlier, the amount of contact you're taking where it doesn't even need to be primary contact to your head. You can take a, a shoulder-on-shoulder hit and there are going to be residual effects in your head just because that, that's the way contact works. I don't think we've had the concussion discussion on this podcast, me and you, before. I don't think we have, yeah. I I know uh, I've I've talked to Daniel Carcillo about this in the past. It's just one of those things that I think as the research uh, is becoming more and more public and we're learning more about these things as as the years go on, we're going to see less and less head contact in this sport because it's going to drive players out of the game, like Andrew Shaw, before they even turn 30. You talk to any former hockey player that you know who played at a somewhat high level, why did they stop playing? concussions they got their seventh concussion and they weren't allowed to play a game again they had to stay in a dark room for multiple months had to take months off of school they, they had to keep the blinds closed no one likes talking about this stuff because it's really sad and it's kind of depressing but yeah. this is happening to andrew shaw and he has to stop playing hockey because of it i love this sport 
I want it to be safe. I want players to be mm-hmm. able to play into their 30s, and that's becoming a, a, a tougher... It's easier now than it was 20 years ago when Scott Stevens was ending careers, but I don't think uh, people realize that it's still a dangerous sport despite the fact that we're trying to address some of these head issues. No, 100%. Like That's the reason why I stopped playing hockey. I had six concussions, and it's scary, man. Like it, it I don't know. Like The brain is... like like. I, I'm, I'm the same way. I listen. Look, man, uh, I'd be lugging around a torn meniscus for nine months because I just like I need to keep running. Like that's something that fulfills me. And, and that's what you get for it, trying to do your Chris Johnson, uh, you know, your marathon uh, a day. See, what Chris Johnson does is uh, him and I have actually been over this ourselves on this very podcast. But he runs like, you know, eight. Uh, he hasn't he's he's obviously ramped up because he's actually training for the, you know, the 42 point, I think, one four um, kilometers that an actual marathon is, which is just absurd, which I also hit last year, which is a big reason why this knee is, is going, but he, he would, he does it every day, but he'll do like eight, 10 K, which is a lot, but like, not like so much strain on the body. I, for like three, for like three straight months, I ran like 30 kilometers every day at least. And, or like, you know, 20 to 30. Yeah. He'd, he'd tweet the picture to me. He'd, he'd DM it and, and say, oh, okay, boys, I'm, I'm a bit tired today. And we we're going, what's wrong with you? How'd you run 30K again? Yeah. Turns it, out that might not be good for you. Turns out your body's going against it. But yeah, like I, I just kind of ignored everyone who was like, hey, maybe take a day off. I'm like, nah, I need this. And, and, and I can totally understand how hockey players go through that. And it's, you know what? As much as it's really, really sad to see a productive NHL, like this guy, you know, I'm looking at his stats like, it was it was two years ago when this guy had forty seven points in sixty three games for the Habs. He scored twenty goals before. He's a cup winner. You know he he average he brought he's you know thirty to forty point scorer as a forward. You know some good points per game averages here. He's a productive guy and you know played a shithead style of hockey. Uh, you know was a key cog on a lot of those cup winning teams. And now he has to retire. And it's just. I don't know. It's sad to see, but I'm also glad that this guy, hopefully, by doing this, by taking this step, will be able to enjoy his post-hockey career, maybe get into broadcasting, or maybe, you know, just have something as as simple as being able to play with his kids. Remember his kids' names. Remember his grandkids' names. That's a big thing. Yeah, maybe this prevents early-onset dementia from getting to him. I seriously hope so. Which isn't something we like talking about. It sucks, but this happens to a lot of former pro hockey players, pro football players. A fun fact about Andrew Shaw is that the Blackhawks traded him for the pick that they used to select Alex DeBrincat. Incredible. Yeah. And and then the the Hawks reacquired him, as they do with every player. They basically turned an expiring Andrew Shaw, I think an RFA, into Alex DeBrincat. Because That's... 32 teams passed, or however many teams passed on him in the first round. Still one of those frustrating things for you. We're talking about Cole Caulfield. Alex no, but it, you're right. Take a chance on these elite goal scorers who are under 5'10". Man, I say, this to, I say this to every potential you know mate that I have. Take a chance on the short guy. You know? He might, Maybe he this might is just me. You. I'm five foot nine and a half, and I think height bias is still a major thing in player evaluation. And it's a major thing in life. Yep, no one over six feet tall. That's the hinge profile. That's the NHL GM profile. Yeah, I see a lot of if like, you know, there's a prompt on hinge where it's like, you know, you should not go out with me if and I see a lot of the if you're under six feet and I'm and I immediately go, Oh, that's a shame. All right. I, I've seen some people post ones where it's like six foot two or six foot three, and I'm thinking, Oh my, oh my god, what is this? Is this like the LA Kings from the early two like the early twenty tens? Like, just how, go how tall just do you have go. to beat them? Let's go shoot your shot in Shaq's DMs or something. Like, leave me out of this. <laughs> 
I love that. That is the sound of another sale on Shopify, the all-in-one commerce platform to start, run, and grow your business. Shopify is a platform designed for anyone to sell anywhere, giving entrepreneurs like me the resources that were once reserved for big business. And it's customized to your needs. You get a great looking online store that really helps bring your ideas to life and tools to manage the day-to-day and drive sales. And I'm speaking about this from experience. I'm really passionate about bass fishing. And a little over five years ago, I started an e-commerce bass fishing brand with my best friend, Aaron, called Woo Tungsten. Actually, it's pronounced Woo Tungsten, W-O-O exclamation mark, because that's the sound you make when you catch a giant bass. And it was a no-brainer to do this on Shopify because they've made it so easy every step of the way from creating product listings to making discount codes to managing shipments. In fact, if you want to see what an e-commerce store looks like on Shopify, go to wootungsten.com and you can see. And it's no wonder that every 28 seconds, a small business owner makes their first sale on Shopify. You can get started by building and customizing your online store with no coding or design experience. And you can gain knowledge and confidence with extensive resources to help you succeed. Plus, with 24-7 support, you're never alone. It's more than a store. Shopify grows with you. This is possibility powered by Shopify. Go to shopify.com slash bluewire, all lowercase, for a free 14-day trial, and you'll get access to Shopify's entire suite of features. Start selling on Shopify today, just like me, just like Woo Tungsten, by going to shopify.com slash bluewire right now. That's shopify.com slash bluewire. All right, plot points. What's trending up? What's trending down? We already covered Cole Caulfield. I was just going to make a joke about the media, but trending down is our ability to be treated to another e-bug situation. We almost witnessed glory, Ian, because Matt Murray left the game. Left the left the game on, I believe it was Saturday. Um, the Senators game with a lower body injury, which meant Marcus Hogberg was in net. And if anything happened to Marcus Hogberg because of COVID, they don't have any any emergency goaltenders in in the building. So a player has to be designated for that. And the player the Sens would have put in net was Artem Anisimov. And after and after the game, he took a he he they took a video of him in full goalie gear, you know, saying, like, you know, put me in, coach. I cannot believe that we almost got actual like Artem Anisimov strapping on the pads on hockey night in Canada. I mean, he's six five, six six. So I guess yeah, that's the guy tall. that you'd pick, right? He's, he's tall and lanky. player. Yeah. He's got that, he's like he's got the coat rack build that most goalies need to have. And I saw someone tweet like, okay, every NHL team, if, if you had to put out which player would be forced to be your backup goalie now, if it had to be one from your current roster, and then every team just picks their six their foot five guy. tall, lanky guy. Martin Marincin comes out of the taxi squad for the Leafs. He's, he'd be my first pick because it's like, first of all, the guy, like, I, wouldn't, I don't want him actually playing like his position. It, it, you know that he plays right now so maybe give him give him a shot at goalie he's tall he's lanky he's got a good stick i'd be terrified if you ever tried to play the puck i was thinking still, about that imagine if he came yeah. out behind his net to play the puck and you're thinking oh my god this is just like when you're on defense i don't want you to play it no it's he would he would lose his mind every like the thing is martin Merchant's not that bad with the puck not on his stick he's good defending zone entries and you know his positional awareness is Pretty good, but it's something about him where if he when he gets the puck on his stick, he like something short circuits in his brain. He gets overwhelmed with fear and just dumps it. But yeah, we almost 
man, we almost got Artemisimov goalie content. That would have been incredible. Trending up as well. The Leafs being good dudes because they the players decided to pool some of their money to help out lower paid Marlies who were essentially getting screwed by the pandemic because I believe I believe Marlies players are only getting I think it's like 40% of their actual salary this year and like the minimum salary in the AHL is $51,000. A lot of these players their entry level contracts like they get a signing bonus but if they're in the if they're in the minors they get a base salary of 70 grand which look a lot of people would take that but these are guys who, you know, they're professional hockey players and they're getting screwed here. And so Jason Spezza apparently was the impetus behind that. What like what a what a great story. It's what really a likable cool. team. I know that the jump in, in pay from the AHL to the NHL is super significant. That when you're in the AHL, your daily contract, what you're making per week or per it's month. Tiny. It's not what people think it is compared mm-hmm. to, you know, a pro athlete in the NHL. If you tell someone I am a pro hockey player and they think that you're making a crazy amount of money, if you're in the AHL and you're still grinding it out, you're actually not making that much. I know European prospects talk about this when they come over and they play in the AHL, they're making peanuts compared to what they could be making in Europe. So I think this is a big deal. I, I think it's really cool, Jason Spezza, obviously. This is the same guy who almost wasn't in the league anymore because... Uh, he was scratched on opening day, and it looked like they were about to wave him under Mike Babcock before he got fired. And now he's, what, one of the points leaders at 5-on-5 five five for the, the Leafs per 60 minutes. He's quarterbacking PP2. He's and had one he's, of the best years of his career. And he's like, spearheading this effort to, to help play a, pay AHL players. I think that's really cool of him. I think more NHL players could you know follow suit and, and try to... Be a good dude the same way Jason Spetz is. I, I really like this. It's a cool story. I'm biased, obviously. He's a good Mississauga mm-hmm. boy. So <laughs> I like my 905 guys. But yep. uh, yeah, I just I remember seeing that and, and everyone kind of agreed that, yeah, wow, this is a really cool thing of him to do. I don't know what else to say. Yeah, I think he's really like it's just it just adds to the likability of the team. I think like this is a very likable group. Easy to get behind. Speaking of Leafs, we're going to hop into them in our in our deep dive real quick. But first, a word from our sponsor. Flowers are blooming, the grass is growing, and it's time to chop the weeds. Thanks to our sponsor, Manscaped, you can trim your holes safely and efficiently. I'm talking about ball trimmers, folks. Manscaped, the global leaders in men's below-the-belt waist grooming, have an exclusive offer for our audience. Use the code STAFFGRAFT to get 20% off, plus free shipping at manscaped.com. Join the 2 million other men who trust Manscaped. They're here to make sure you are trimmed and smelling nice. After all, it's time for some spring cleaning. Now, spring is sprung, and Manscaped has the best tools to get you ready. Manscaped are the global leaders in men's below-the-waist grooming and have forever changed the grooming game with their amazing products, and they're here to help your above-the-waist holes, too. You ever heard of the Weed Whacker? This nose and ear hair trimmer provides proprietary skin-safe technology, which helps prevent nicks, snags, and tugs in those delicate holes. No more grass or gross nose hairs flying in the wind. The Media Manscaped Weed Whacker uses a 9,000 RPM motor-powered 360-degree rotary dual-blade system. I'm telling you, folks. It's great. Manscaped is making whacking your weeds a time to look forward to and to deliver maximum confidence while providing hygiene. Now, and speaking of incredible hygiene, Manscaped has formulations to keep you fresh and ready for everything that comes your way all day. The Crop Preserver is an anti-chafing ball deodorant and moisturizer. It's starting to get hot outside, and this is so crucial for your balls to stop sticking to your leg. That's legit the worst. You'll also find the Crop Reviver spray-on toner for your balls, which keep you smelling fresh down there just like spring flowers. Speaking of smelling fresh... Complete your grooming game this spring with the new redefined, refined cologne. Signature sent by Manscaped. This stuff is legit and will have you smelling like royalty. Cologne, the cologne is light, it's approachable and gentlemanly in all the right ways. It'll be the talk of the next quarantine hang. 
Smell good, feel good this spring. You can get 20% off plus free shipping with the code staffgraph at manscaped.com. Do yourself a favor and always use the right tools for the job. That's staffgraph, the code staffgraph at manscaped.com to get 20% off plus free shipping. All right, Ian. How do we feel about the Leafs? That's my first question for you. How do we feel? About this dirty team of goons, Joe this Thornton, Alex Galchenyuk, you know, Jake Muzzin. Classic, classic goon names like Alex Galchenyuk, for sure. Trying to think who else has been gooning it up lately. Wayne Simmons and Pierre-Luc Dubois getting into a, a verbal war <laughs> that, that got them misconducts at the end of the third period. The best trade ever, Nikolai Ehlers and uh, <laughs> Nikolai Ehlers and Pierre-Luc Dubois for Simmons and Thornton at the end of a game that's relatively close. I'll take that. I'll take that nine times out of ten. Ten times out of ten. So I know we're joking here, but we could actually try to analyze the Leafs right yeah. now if you want. How do you okay. feel? I think they were a really good team before the Nick Foligno trade, and I think they're still a very good team after the Nick Foligno trade. I want to know where he fits, because I know they're still trying him on that Matthews-Marner line. I'm, I don't think that's where he's eventually going to end nah. up, just because I don't think he has the offense to keep up with those guys, which is funny because they've been playing with Zach Hyman, and he's been keeping up. And I think there's a drop-off in offense from Hyman to Felino, Even though mm-hmm. they're similar players along the boards, they're similar players defensively, Zach Hyman's come a long way in his ability to carry the puck up the ice and actually make a play in the offensive zone. It's only a couple games here, but Nick Felino in the offensive zone doesn't have the ability to make plays at the same rate as a Zach Hyman or a Galchenyuk or other players, even a Joe Thornton that they've played in those roles before. So I do wonder if Nick Foligno is going to make more sense on a Tavares line or even on a defensive checking third line. But the great thing about the Leafs, if, if you're a Leafs fan at least, is that at 5-on-5, five five, they've been controlling play this season at an elite rate, better than they yeah. ever have before. In the past, in the Austin Matthews era, they've relied heavily on their scoring talent to kind of outperform their 5-on-5 five five metrics and some strong goaltending from Frederick Anderson they obviously haven't been getting that from Frederick Anderson in the last year or so but what's great is that at five on five you look at the scoring chance differential shot differential you could look at the fancy stats expected goals these they're top three in the league that's what you want to be if you're a contending team you want to be constantly in the offensive zone generating chances and preventing the other team from doing that they're a much better defensive team this year thanks in large part to the addition of guys like TJ Brody I'm trying to think who else has had a really strong defensive year Bogosian? Uh, yeah, that's that's actually something that's going to hurt them, I think. I know Rasmus yeah. Sandin's getting a look now, and that's actually something that's kind of exciting for them because he and gives we'll talk them about another that, look. Yeah, yeah so we'll, we'll get into more detail with that shortly. But just overall, if you look at Toronto's play style, they're allowing way fewer shots this season, way fewer chances they have in years past. They're also generating a few less than they have. Their, their pace is down. They're kind of slowly holding on to the puck, waiting for things to, to develop. In the offensive zone, you can see it. Instead of just firing shots right away, players like Nylander like to hold on to the puck on the cycle. Riley and Brody are, are you know, swinging around the offensive zone like they're Jackie Moon playing the rover. And I, I know you I'm said going me rover, that. Coach. Of, yeah. I'm going rover. I'm going rover. I'm creating a diversion by, by running circles. You know, the, 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 no. the, <laughs> call the play, Jackie Moon. <laughs> Run the play. Don't be a rover. No, no, I'm going rover. That's Morgan Riley, by the way, in the offensive zone, which, by the way, drives teams insane. It's very difficult yes. to cover you when all five players are in motion in the offensive zone. When you're zone. going rover. It's like the Steve Kerr Warriors offense. When it yeah. first came out, teams didn't know what to do. They're like, wait, all five guys are going to be moving and I have to pay attention to all of them? 
When the Leafs do that with Riley and Brody and Matthews Marner, and then you have a net front presence, whether it's a Hyman, now it's a Felino, that's difficult to stop. And they hold onto the puck for an extra amount of time, which is, I think, helping their defensive numbers just because they can't shoot if you have the puck. I'd love to see time with of possession because I bet you the Leafs yeah. rank very high in the in the league right now. And it's not just in the offensive zone, in their breakout, in their kind of neutral zone trap. I like the way that they prioritize puck possession, and it's part of the reason they've been such a strong team at five and five. Yeah, I. You know what? I'm really. This is definitely the most confident I felt about any Leafs team. I think in their in their contention sort of window. I think like every. I think there 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 is solidity kind of at every sort at every position group, and I think getting Felino wasn't necessarily what they like it wasn't like a dire need for them to get a player like him, but it's just such a nice luxury and the price of that they were able to give, which is a you know going to hopefully a, a a late first round pick in a draft where like seventy five percent of the players haven't played at all this year, um, is I think that's that's reasonable. And to be honest, he's looked really good lately. Like I know it's a very small sample, and he's playing with two borderline generational players, but damn, like he's fit really well. And I think right now it doesn't matter. Like he's going to, he'll, he'll likely be on that third line when Hyman comes back, whether they want to put Hyman up with Matthews and, and, uh, and Marner or kind of put him wherever. But I think he'll be on that third line. And man, let's say Riley Nash comes back too, right? Like, because I think he will in the playoffs. And I think, I think he's going to he get a few games. Yeah. A mat, like a shutdown line. Like, like you're not looking for any offensive production from this line, but a line that it just will essentially be like, there will be no fun had, whenever we're on the ice of like Riley Nash, Nick Felino, and Ilya Mikheyev. Ilya Mikheyev. Exactly. Like, first of all, like there will be so many missed breakaways on that line. First of all, like, like, like they will, they will get breakaways and never score in any of them. But also like that, will, that is an infuriating line to play against. And that's, I think a kind of line that sways a playoff series that can shut down some depth. Yeah, and I think that's why the Leafs wanted to acquire a Felino, and I think it's why Riley Nash might have been a sneaky good ad because yeah. I think what they're looking for is guys who, let's say you have one goal lead in the third period, who are guys that can kill 40 seconds off the clock? And even if it you're not going to score a goal in that time, the other team also isn't going to score a goal in that time. And I know that I used to joke about Frederick Gauthier in the past that that was kind of what he did. You know, there's zero yeah. chance of him ever scoring a goal when he was on the ice. Just ask Jeff O'Neill. But if you can control the puck, cycle it in the offensive zone prevent odd man rushes the other way that still has a lot of value that's what Nick Felino's game is he's not giving you an odd man rush he's gonna stay high in the offensive zone he's gonna be responsible he's gonna be positioned well he's gonna win battles along the boards he's gonna make life difficult for the opposition I do wonder though at some point when you can't score that matters right and yes does this, it does does the Leafs bottom six or let's say does the Leafs depth have enough offense for them to compete in the playoffs with the truly elite teams. Because I think in the Canadian division, you could argue that they're the best team right now and that they probably should come out of it. But I think if you look at this as a true contending lineup, you obviously have your Matthews Marner line, your Tavares Nylander line, you feel good about those. And I guess the idea is you're going to complement that with players who are strong defensively. Mm -hmm. Nick Foligno, Riley Nash. Uh, whether it's Kerfoot or Mikheyev, guys that you can somewhat trust defensively, and then maybe you have a sheltered offensive fourth line that J- Jason Spets is on. Maybe Thornton's down there as well. Wayne Simmons, I don't know if maybe you have a Galchenyuk there. You have options, and I guess that's what you like, but 
with Nick Foligno specifically, I know you said he's playing well right now, and I I, I agree defensively. I think yeah. when you watch that third period where him and Mitch Marner got a lot of minutes, whether it was on the PK or when the other team pulled their goal, you go, okay, this is what Nick Foligno does. In the third period of a close game where you're trying to close out a lead, that's where his real value is. And sometimes it's hard to see defense value compared to offensive value because offensive value, you see it. Puck goes in yeah. the net. Horn goes off, camera pans to the guy who scored. Everyone sees it. Defensive value, you cut a guy off in the neutral zone, he's forced to dump it in. It's, it's not as salient to the average fan. It's not something you're going to... And a lot of gonna... people don't even have a definition of what defense is. Like, a lot of people have a different definition of what that actually is defined as. I mean, it's the absence of anything, really, right? Yeah. It's the other team not being able to generate a shot or a chance. Sometimes that's just you holding on to the puck for an extra second, making a smart pass, and, and now the other team doesn't have it. Sometimes it's you staying above your forward in the offensive zone, and now it's a three-on-three three rush instead of a three-on-two. Crap, we don't have anything. We're going to dump it in. Whereas if you weren't in that position, now they've burned us. Nick Ehlers got behind me, and they scored a goal. That happened mm. to Alex Galchenyuk the other night. So yeah. I think you compare Galchenyuk to Felino, you can kind of see the polar opposite play styles, where Galchenyuk gives you a bit of extra skill, where if you're trying to create something off the rush with a Matthews Marner or a Tavares Nylander, he can complete that next play, which mm. when you're playing with star players, that really matters because those are missed opportunities if plays are dying on their stick, kind of like when Wayne Simmons was playing up there. Or I think of rookie Zach Hyman, where Matthews yeah, and, yeah. and Nylander were just feeding him cross-ice passes in the crease, and he was whiffing on all of them. I do wonder if Nick <laughs> Felino, if we're going to have that concern with him, that even though he's winning puck battles and he's playing elite defense, if he's playing in your top six with guys who are going to be feeding him chances in the slot, is his inability to finish on those going to frustrate us to the point where we wonder if maybe that's not the best spot for him? Well, I don't think he'll be in the top six in the playoffs. Like I, think I do. I, I think he's going to be do. alongside... Well, I just I think they gave up so many assets for him. I, yeah. I want I want to think that they're going to get him on a Tavares line. They're clearly trying him with the Matthews Marner combination to see if they can get that to work. I, I think eventually they're going to decide that that doesn't work. But I guess you see him as more of a in that third line, mm-hmm. whether it's with a Riley Nash or you just load up on the guys who are really annoying to play against, and he fits into that mold. I think yeah, I think they I think they'll do that. I also think that they sort of, I mean, they realize like. Th- I don't think it's a coincidence that they have kind of loaded up on two guys from the team that booted them last year, like who played those kind of pivotal roles. Like Nick Foligno is the captain of that team who played a pivotal defensive role. Riley Nash is on that team too. And they have those two guys now and they're going to be, you know, they're, they are going to be part of this team and they don't, they, I don't think they want to hinder what, you know, what makes them the Leafs. Like I don't think the Leafs want to hinder what makes them special and makes them the Leafs. But I also think that, they've learned from their past mistakes and like I'm fine with a line that essentially doesn't offer anything offensively as long as they completely negate everything that the other team is throwing at them. And I think a line like, like you said, in a line like a Mikheyev Nash and Felino line, like I think that fits the bill perfectly. I I could see fitting on there. He's good defensively, even though he doesn't bring much offensively. And also Felino, has looked good on the penalty kill too, which I think yep. is very important because when you give up those assets for a guy like that, if he's only like, that's a big thing that they needed is that like, you know, they have a lot of guys who, you know, aren't necessarily fitting on the penalty kill that much or, 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 you know, they're, they're only at, you know, five on five Felino, if, if he's actually like, that's what, that's what's booted Engvall out of here is that Felino was a, like a more high profile player, but he plays better on the penalty kill He's better well, defensively. that and Engvall's complete inability to make a play once he crosses the blue line oh offensively. Oh, my God. 
he's like such an enigma, man, because I have like I watched him from his first North American game on. I saw him develop from a perimeter hugging like sniper, despite what his shot was like to a like in the in the AHL, at least like a shutdown center. And then he goes yeah, to the NHL. You and, and Haley Selvian talked me into him. I talked to Jack Hahn, yeah. who watched him a bunch in, in Sweden, and he was like, "Holy crap, this guy is surprisingly good. He's so fast for his size, and oh my god, if he figures it out. There are so many tools there that should make him an NHL player. And he's you see it when he pl- when he played with Mikheyev and Hyman, the hemline, yes. those long, lanky guys who kind of took away space. It reminded me of an NBA wing defender who were just yep. using their length and athleticism to play elite defense and. He could obviously do that, and you, you see his speed. He can transition the puck. There are tools there, but then the brain is so far behind the tools that it, you know it's less than the sum of its parts. And it, it's frustrating for a coach or a fan to watch and go, "Man, you should be so much better than you actually are." But if you can't process the game at the same speed as the guys around you, then maybe you shouldn't be playing with those guys. And I think that's why he's out of the twelve-man lineup right now. Yeah, like he's when they signed him that extension, they he was on a good pace, and they were looking at him, and they were going okay he's still growing in his game and if he's here like it will we'll give him 1.25 million if he's at the level that he is now he's only going to get better and what they didn't realize i think is that was his peak like i think this is what this is what pierre engvall is they've done that with a few guys they signed pierre engvall right when he was at his peak in value justin, justin hall, hall you could argue right when he was you know but justin hall best. for two million is is for the next three years is fantastic All value. of a sudden, it looks better now, yeah. I mean, you can play Jake Muzzin with anyone, and they'll perform well. That's kind of the argument against Justin Hall, is that how That's good true. is he really if Nikita Zaitsev played well with this guy? So Yeah. I, and Morgan Riley and Justin Hall, in a very small sample, did terribly this season, whereas Jake Muzzin and TJ Brody, in a very small sample, did really well at 5-on-5. Five five. So that's a knock against Hall. But again, I'm not a huge fan of small samples. I'd like to see what they do. Over a much larger sample there, you know. Yeah. Sample size, you know, nerd talk. <laughs> well, Ian, we've reached the point of the podcast where we have to... It's I've, I've saved the best for last year. Let's have the conversation. I know we've had this on the last time you were here, but I think now we have even more sample size. Um, we can have more of a discussion. Morgan Riley has not been good lately. It's not been good, I would say, the last two seasons. Some people would say longer than that. But he also was a defenseman who put up 70-plus points, which cannot be negated. We just talked about the value of offensive production. Um, what what does this team do with him? Do we trade? Do, do the Leafs trade him? And if they don't, what does an extension for Morgan Riley look like? Because I think that is going to be one of the most confounding negotiations that we have to deal with here. Okay, so when we're evaluating Morgan Riley, I think you have to ask yourself, what does he do best? And in the past, it's been quarterbacking the power play and providing offense at 5-on-5. Yeah. Rasmus Sandin looks like he might be able to take those power play duties and be better at it. That's one thing I'm looking at, and I see, wow, his ability to walk the line, make quick passes. He doesn't shoot it as often as Riley, and when Sandin does shoot it, it tends to be a good decision looking for a tip as opposed to trying to beat a goalie from distance. He just gloves it and gets the whistle. So I think Keefe sees the same things. That's why he gave Sandin a shot on PP1 the other night, and it was fun for all of us to see and go, oh, wow. You know, Sandine with the four-star players offensively. This is kind of <laughs> nice to see. Offensive yeah. zone start after a penalty kill. We had Riley, Sandine, Tavares, Matthews, Nylander. That was pretty cool to see. Clearly, this rad. is a guy they want to give some offensive situations to because he has some talent. With, with Riley, 
my biggest frustration with him at five on five has been even though he generates all that offense, he basically gives it all back the other way. And yeah. I, I brought up his heat map the other night just to kind of show people that I'm not doing this because I have some massive bias against this guy and I hate Morgan Riley as a person and I'm just out here to, you know, run him out of Toronto because that's but you not do, my though. goal. I think he's a great dude. I think he's been one of the what the leaders on this team for the last Absolutely. half decade. He's what he's basically the. I think he's the longest tenured Leaf at this point, isn't he? Yeah, yeah, I think he is. Got to be at this point because he yeah. was around yeah. for the the Randy Carlisle era. He has to be. Yeah, I think like Mart. What's funny is I think Martin Marincin's the second longest tenured Leaf. <laughs> of course he is. Like the guy will not go away. But yeah, oh boy. Timothy Lilligren might be at some point. He's been around forever, but he's longest he was, tenured Marley. What's funny is he was the simul. I think two years ago he was simultaneously, or no, last year he was simultaneously the longest tenured Marley and the youngest Marley. That sounds about right, for which Timothy is hilarious. Lilligren. This isn't the Lilligren podcast. Let's get back to Riley. It could be. So. You brought up his 70-point year. It's also worth noting he tripled his career average in shooting percentage yes. that year. So that was never going to last. That was a mirage of what the... That's not what he has ever been and is going to be again. So if you expect him to get back to that, it's just... It's not going to happen. You asked what his next contract looks like. His next yeah. contract, to me, looks frightening based on what he actually provides at 5-5. Five and five. I think a lot of players could put up points on a power play with Matthews, Tavares, Marner, and Nylander. I don't think you need Morgan Riley to do that. I think a lot of players could provide similar value on the power play. The, the real question is, can players give you those 20-plus minutes at 5-on-5 five five against the other team's top players and come out break-even, which is more or less what Riley's done over the last few years. He's been elite offensively and mm-hmm. the opposite of elite defensively. It's not easy to find top four defensemen who can fill those minutes. We know that. Jets fans know that. Uh, a, a lot of people know that. So I don't want to just say, hey, trade this guy for assets, and then, yeah, Sandine can take those minutes. Dermot can take those minutes, because I don't know how true that is. But I don't want to pay Morgan Riley $8 million by eight years on his next contract, because I don't think that's optimizing your chances of winning, especially at five on five, which... Is, is where I think the real disconnect is when I'm trying yeah. to evaluate Morgan Riley and people are telling me, Ian, look at these point totals. Look at what he does on the power play. And to me, I care most about five on five. And when I'm looking at players who I think are super underrated around the league, I go, these are the guys who are dominating play at five and five. And you just don't notice it because they finish the year with 20 or 30 points. Whereas this other player will have 50 points. You go, oh, wow, what a player. But he gives it all back defensively at five on five. So I just... That that's kind of my biggest frustration with Riley. What would I do personally? I'd, I'd love to see what you could get for him in a trade in the offseason and and use those assets to grab another defenseman who's better at five on five. I don't mm-hmm. think they'll ever do that. I think they'll think hold they on either. to him and either resign him or let him walk in free agency. But I, I think there's an opportunity to. Uh, Tyler Dello had a great article about this at one point in time. If you've ever read Moneyball, uh, selling oh, yeah. the closer is an idea where you. Put a guy in a situation where he's going to put up stats. In, in the MLB, it's, oh, let's get this guy a bunch of saves. He's yeah. not our best relief pitcher, but we'll pitch him last in a game. And because he's in these situations where he can easily get a save, other teams will be like, oh, wow, see, this guy's getting a lot of saves. Let's trade for this guy. And then they put another player into that spot and then let his value go up and then trade him. In the NHL, I'm surprised we don't see this with defensemen on the power play, where a lot of guys can run the, pl- run the blue line, pass it to an elite player on the half wall, and pick up a lot of secondary assists. Yeah. Nikita Zaitsev passing the puck to Mitch Marner, and Mitch Marner making an elite play, and Nikita Zaitsev getting credit for it. They could have sold him after that. Instead, they bought him. 
We all know how that turned out. I think teams should be doing this more with defensive on the power play because they're not the ones who are controlling the outcome. It's the guys on the half wall who actually dictate the play. Marner, mm-hmm. Matthews, those are the guys who do it. And other teams, it's Kucherov, Stamkos, Ovechkin, Backstrom. Those are the guys who actually impact the your, your team's chances of scoring. The guy at the blue line is literally just holding the blue line and quickly passing it to guys who can do something with the puck. So I think we overvalue power play quarterbacks. Tyson Berry... Morgan yep. Riley. I mean, Shane Gostisbehere just got waived the other day. So I think these guys who are elite on the power play but aren't quite as good at 5-on-5, five five, Tony D'Angelo, <laughs> I, I think we have a history of overrating these guys and paying a lot for points when if you're sm- a smart GM and you can just look at value, I, I think with Morgan Riley, he's a perfect example of someone who is overvalued by the market because we focus way too much on points especially power play points and i don't think that's the best way of evaluating defensemen i think the way that you impact the game at five on five says a lot more about what you do and over the last three years morgan riley is basically break even because everything he generates offensively it's great but he gives it right back the other way because of his inability to defend the rush i I don't think I could put it any any better than you just did. Like that that's exactly where I'm coming from with, with this guy. So I, I, I have no notes. That's a perfect I'm sorry, in- Rachel. I, I like yeah. Morgan Riley as a human being. I like him as an offensive creator and a power play quarterback, but I also think that those are easily replaceable traits. I guess her her counter argument would be who's gonna play in the top four next year if you trade Morgan Riley? Rasmus Sandin. Is he ready? And if he's not ready, have you just screwed yourself over? That's a risk I think you kind of have to take if you if you're going to make that. Like at a certain point this this guy who has exceeded literally every expectation you put in front of him. I mean, I I've again, I covered him at the AHL level. Like he when from the moment he set foot on I guess Rico Coliseum Ice or Coco Coliseum Ice, like a, like professional ice, he belonged and he exceeded and he has he has like he has exceeded every expectation they put in front of him. I think it's reasonable and then it's re- it is reasonable to expect him to maybe not like be ready to play top four, but be put in a challenging position and exceed that. I like he's done it under Sheldon Key specifically time after time after time. Can we talk about where Morgan Riley plays in the lineup? The players who are on the ice at the same time as him. I know that quality of competition is something that people bring up. Oh, he plays tough minutes, but we rarely talk about quality of line mates, which the research mm-hmm. shows actually matters more than who you face. So who you play with really matters, really impacts your results. Morgan Riley is always on the ice with TJ Brody and, a, and either the Matthews-Marner line or the Tavares-Nylander line. Yeah. So he's still getting ever, caved in. So, well, he's not getting... Eh, this year, the, the results are positive, but I think that has a lot to do with the situation he's in. If you have Rasmus Sandin in that same position with a TJ Brody to help him out defensively and elite offensive players that he'll be passing the puck to, what would the drop-off be at 5-on-5? Five five? Would there even be a drop-off or would he be better? I mean, I think it's a fair question. He hasn't even shown an ability to do well in sheltered minutes yet. So let's slow down the Rasmus Sandin hype train at five on five at least. But I I do think it's a conversation worth having in in terms of when you are evaluating a defenseman, I think you need to pay attention to who their partner is. And if he's playing with an elite partner or at least a very strong partner, that makes their life easier. And if they're playing with very good forward line mates and Morgan Riley's always playing with the top six, it also makes your life easier. So... I think that other defensemen put into that position could perform well, but it's tough to move away from a guy who's been a leader in the locker room for the mm-hmm. last decade and a guy that, you know, oh, the, oh Ian, you, you don't work for an NHL team. You couldn't possibly know what this would do to a room or what this would do to the confidence of guys. But 
I've seen professional sports teams trade players like Morgan Riley in the past and come out. DeMar DeRozan wasn't someone that the yeah. Raptors wanted to trade, but it was a trade that improved their chances of winning in the future. And, and it, it sucks. It's a business. But that's always my, my argument. Whenever I, I bring up a, a fantasy trade of something where, oh, you can't do that. There's no way you could do that. And I just go, BS. You can do anything you want. Do what improves your chances of winning. And I think this is something that would, but... Hey, if you hold on to him and let him walk in free agency, maybe that's a more realistic outcome. I just think that his next contract is one that you want no part of. It's going to be really interesting to see. All right, Ian, you've made it through all the wings. You got this camera, this camera, this camera. Tell the people what you're working on before we head out of here, because I have an appointment to get my knee looked at. Yeah, sorry about your meniscus. <laughs> uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Ian Graff. After the Leafs games, uh, I usually post my, my Leafs report cards where I grade guys on a scale from one to five. Uh... Trying to think who ends up at the top of those lists most nights. You know, Matthews, Tavares, Nealander, Sandine lately. You know, Ni- he's hopefully good. Nick man. Foligno. Hopefully, well, Nick Foligno gets a game puck. I, I can't we wait for that. Got to temper the hype night. train, though. Who's usually on the bottom of those? Uh, unfortunately, it's been Morgan Riley lately. Uh, the yep. goaltenders, Dave Riddick, ends up with zero stars sometimes. Damn. I usually tweet that out about an hour and a half after the game, more or less. So if you're a Leafs fan, that's something to check out. And I do a weekly podcast at Maple Leaf Hot Stove as well. So if you follow me on Twitter, at Ian Graff, you'll be able to get all that juicy Leafs content. Exactly. It, and it sure is juicy. Succulent, even, as I would say. Um, all right. Thanks so much for coming on, Ian. This is, this is great. Maybe let's, uh, let's run some chill. On I was going to say, now that this is getting super awkward, this is a great time to get out, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. Take care. Thanks for thanks for coming on. Take care and stop going offside in NHL and stay out of the box. No. <laughs> <laughs>